Welcome to Brightcast by Shipbrite. This is a re-recording of a previous episode, and I've learned that there are some things uh, that are in previous episodes that have prevented the uh, podcast from being distributed to other platforms like uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Uh, so I've gone back working. Uh, thank you very much to Anchor FM customer support. They've been fabulous. Uh, so I've done some re-recording and I am now republishing it. So if you've heard this before, you can go ahead and gloss over it if you want. And if this is the first time that you've heard this because I'm now on a different platform, welcome aboard. Really great you're here. If you like the uh, podcast, please tell your friends. And uh, I'm really appreciative that you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brightcast by Shipbrite. Uh, in this episode, we're going to discuss uh, going back to school and setting up classes at both Charles University and University of Economics Prague, along with some more of the social life of being in Prague. So thanks again for listening in, and please let your friends know if you like it. Well, it was time to start getting ready uh, for classes to begin. Uh, I was using that two weeks time before the semester began to orient myself with uh, Prague again, uh, to take care of a lot of the details about having to live there for the next five, six months. Uh, one of the things uh, that Prague does very well, and actually I should say all of the European cities do really well, is public transportation. Here's a tip. If you're going to go live someplace abroad for a bit, uh, get a bunch, maybe 10 passport size photos. Uh, just have them with you because you're going to find you may need them if you open up a bank account or in my case, uh, you can get a uh, public transportation pass that allows you in all the trams and all the metros. Uh, and it's really quite inexpensive. So, but you've got to have, uh, they issue an ID card that's got your picture on it. So that's why you need it. So I got that, uh, the card. And probably the whole time I was there, I never um, was approached by any of the uh, security people, if you will. Uh, you know, to see your pass. They have the right to demand that of anybody taking public transportation to make sure you paid for it. They want to see your ticket or they want to see your pass. I, I never had that. And my pass allowed me to go through the turnstiles in the metro. Uh, so I needed to go find out exactly where my classes were going to be held. So, you know, the first day I wasn't just blindly stumbling around Prague trying to find where I got to go. So, you know, I was teaching at two universities. One was Charles University, which is probably the most prestigious university in the Czech Republic. You know, it was founded in 1348. Just think about that for a little bit. 1348. I mean, Columbus, 1492. Hello, 1348, Charles University. Uh, and it spread all over the city. And where I was teaching in the humanities uh, division, or social sciences, I should say, I was studying in the social sciences division, and that was housed out of their faculty of uh, sports and education. And that campus was uh, farther out from the center of Prague on Jose Martijo uh, Street or Avenue. At any rate, I needed to take from uh, my, my apartment, I just walked right up to the Narodin Trita, which was a major uh, metro station uh, in Prague, which is so easy. Uh, down the 
steep escalators. And, you know, the metro is very steep in a lot of these countries because uh, they were designed to be bomb shelters in the event of a nuclear war with the evil United States of America during, you know, the Cold War. So they're quite deep, but they are clean. They are incredibly efficient. The subway cars are beautiful. Uh, the Czechs make, uh, manufacture uh, subway cars. And it's nothing like the metros in New York City or in Boston. I mean, these are modern, they're clean, and they're quite comfortable. So I had to take the metro out to the far end of one of the lines. It doesn't take really that long because they travel fast. Um, go up, and then there's a, a tramway station, you know, the, the above ground cars right there. And you wait for the, the tram to come and hop on that. And, you know, 10 minutes later, I get off and there I am right in front of the campus. Of course, you know, once you kind of get out of the center of Prague, there are not a lot of people speaking English, uh, you know, in public. Now, of course, at the university they are. But, you know, the guy who I'm trying to talk to at the front desk uh, he has no idea what I'm saying, and I have no idea what I'm saying. Fortunately, I had some sort of letter, and he and he kind of nods his head and he points me down the hallway, and I finally find uh, the faculty door to knock on. And uh, it was a lovely woman who was to be my uh, my mentor there. Uh, she spoke beautiful English, uh, of course, because I didn't speak any Czech, as I've said. Uh, it, we talked about things, and she showed me where the classroom would be. And then uh, she showed me where I could set up when I wanted to come in and have office hours. So Charles University was taken care of, except I also found out that the campus used to be, or was rumored to be, the former headquarters of the Stasi, the secret police. Yikes. So we got that all set up. I'm ready to go. And so I had uh, Charles University dialed down how long it would take me to get there, uh, where I would hang out, uh, I could hook up to a computer, or I could hook my computer up, I should say, uh, and take care of some business. And if any of the students wanted to have any uh, faculty time, they knew where to find me. Uh, they were very, very supportive at Charles, and uh, I'm very grateful to the support they gave me. They were wonderful. So now it was time to go over to the University of Economics, Prague, uh, in Czech, it's Vysoka Skola Economica, and that was founded in 1953. And it's really their uh, their school of business and economics. Like you got the London School of Economics, this is their answer to it. Uh, unlike Charles University, which is a broad-based, true university in terms of everything from theology to medicine to you name it, Charles University has it. And by the way, Charles, another plug for Charles, is uh, a lot of U.S. students, when they do their semester abroad, go to Charles. Let me tell you what, if you're a parent and you've got a kid who's in college, I can't say enough about how much you should be encouraging them to go uh, and do a semester abroad. There are a lot of Americans that go there. They have a blast. You're centrally located. You can go anywhere for a weekend visit. Just go. Okay, let's come back to University of Economics, Prague, the business school. Uh, once again, they were wonderful. They were thrilled to have me. I had a fabulous mentor there. Uh, she set me up with uh, you know, helping get my ID, just like I did with Charles, uh, showing me where my classroom was. Uh, we talked a little bit about my class. And so both for Charles University and University of Economics, Prague, the case study methodology of teaching 
was not really well known. They really didn't do it a lot. It might be kind of an, an add-on somewhere, but they really didn't fully appreciate the value of it. And we talked a lot about that, and uh, uh, they were really intrigued by it. And in fact, I had one of the younger teachers come in and sat in on my classes just to kind of learn how how this whole thing was happened. And as I've said before, the case study methodology, especially in, for these business students, really, truly resonated. They loved it. And I'm going to read you a, uh, an evaluation from one of my uh, students in a moment. But in Europe, titles are important. It may be a hangover from the days of the aristocracy, but titles mean a lot. So, you know, they said, you know, we want you the students to call you Professor Bright. That's your position here. Pretty serious about it. Uh, but I, being a little bit of a rebellious American and with a little bit of an egalitarian outlook, said, okay, so both at Charles and University of Economics Prague, I, they, had to, they had to call me a professor, but I was Professor Ship. And of course, they loved that. And I really felt a connection with the students. Now, the difference between the students at Charles and University of Economics Prague is that Charles, uh, they were from some of the EU countries, but a lot of them were from Czech Republic. Because, you know, if you are Czech and you pass the examination to get into the university, you don't pay tuition. And let me tell you something. We got to figure this out in this country because those students over there are every bit as smart and driven as any American student is. Don't think that we have the monopoly on exceptional uh, students. Believe me, they're very. A lot of them were very exceptional. I remember asking them, "So, what did you do for the summer?" Expecting somebody to go, "Oh, you know, I worked at Abercrombie and Finch, or I was at, you know, lifeguard at the beach, or something like this." Uh, The first woman I asked, "Oh, well, I was a nurse's assistant in a refugee camp in uh, southern Sudan." Like, oh my god! Uh, And the stories went on from there. These kids were globally engaged. Pay attention to that. We should all be paying attention to that. So my students at VSE uh, were from all over. As I said, it was the business school. I had students from Russia, Germany, Czech Republic, Slovakia, England, Vietnam, Greece. Oh, Sweden. I had some Swedish students as well. And I'm probably missing somebody. And I apologize if you hear this. But they were a fantastic class. They were so engaged. And what I loved was the first day I got there, they came in, they took their their seats in front of me. I was up by the lectern. I explained uh, how the course was to be laid out, what my expectations were. Uh, you know, I said, you know, you're going to be graded heavily on your participation. So you've got to participate. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to pick on you. And if you hate being uh, called upon in class, well, welcome to hell, because I want to hear what you have to say. And I also said, listen, in America, sometimes the male students can dominate the class, at least back it was in my generation. And so I said to the ladies in the class, I said, I want to know what's on your mind. You're, what you think is extremely important to me, and it's extremely important to the class. So I want you to speak up, because one of you is going to be the first prime minister or president of the Czech Republic or wherever your country you're from. Yeah, it wouldn't work out in England because they don't have one. But the point being was everyone's voice needed to be heard. It was a safe place to voice your opinion. There were no dumb questions or dumb ideas. You know, this was all part of an interactive and critical thinking learning environment. 
And, you know, they, I could see the heads were starting to nod. They kind of got that. And I said, the only thing you got to do is you can't come to class without reading uh, the case. You have to read it before you walk in a door. If I ask you a question about the case and you can't answer it, you know, I, that's when I get upset. I'm going to ask you to leave. The best thing for you to do is if you haven't read it, just stay outside the door, read the case and come on in and join us when you're ready. And, and they got that. The other part was they had, and this was for both Charles and VSE students, they had to create their own nonprofit. So one of the first assignments was, what do you passionately care about? And I said, I'm not sharing this with the class. Uh, it's just, what do you care about? What, do you, what, would you, what would you do if you could change the world? And how would you go about doing it? And you know, you don't have to change the world in one bite. Just start with your own little corner of the world. Uh, and the responses I got were heartfelt. They were soulful. And they were thoughtful. Uh, and I knew we were off to a good start. But just to make sure that they knew that this wasn't going to be like their other stodgy classes, I had called up earlier to the audio people and said, I need a big sound system. They're like, really? And I said, oh, yeah. So we don't usually get uh, a lot of requests for that. And I said, I know. You will in my class. And they, they kind of chuckled. And they set up these big speakers. Now, there's an organization called Playing for Change. And it's a great organization that brings together musicians from around the world. And at first, they, a lot of times they focus on musicians who are in regions or in countries that are in conflict with each other, and they bring them together to play as one. An example would be the Israelis and the Palestinians uh, as a small example. But they would bring musicians from around the world. And I was talking to the class. I said, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things in our course, uh, you know, from governance to strategic planning, mission, fundraising, uh, social media, the whole nine yards. I said, let me give you an example of something that I think uh, is an organization that inspires people because I want you to touch people's brains and their hearts. And with that, I cranked up Playing for Change, One Love, and that music was blasting in the classroom and you could see the look on the students their eyes got big as dinner plates they're back like they had never seen anything like this in their school uh ever uh, and they were digging it hey everyone here's a quick word from anchor.fm which is one of my sponsors they provide me the tools to keep this broadcast free Thank you. So without getting bogged down into the details of the class, uh, the class was specifically designed to be applicable to both nonprofits and for-profit uh, organizations. If you're going to start something up, you know, how do you go about doing that? And, you know, we talked about uh, you know, your vision, your values, your mission statement. We're talking about strategic planning, governance, fundraising, especially for nonprofits. But the bottom line is when you're running a business, whether it's a startup or uh, an established business, you know, you have to make decisions on a daily basis about where you're going to allocate your scarce resources towards, you know, uh, personnel, time, money, plant, property, equipment, programs. Uh, you've got to make all those decisions on a daily base, basis. It's just what you do. So, uh, you know, my class was case-based uh, based upon the different aspects we were going to be discussing each week. And 
this was all in support of them creating their own case statement uh, and ha- for their own nonprofit. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I intend to go about doing it. This is what they were building to. And, and I told him, I said, you know, some of you uh, may run with the ball right after graduation. Some of you, it may sit on your shelf for a few years or a decade or so. But at some point in time, you're going to go back and look at that and go, oh, this was really an interesting idea. You know, I would change this now. I'd change that. But, you know, this is something you can look back with pride because you've really put a lot of deep thought into it. And we've talked about it. So it was not only myself that was teaching. I got to bring in guest lecturers. That was the fun part because basically I got to invite a lot of people uh, who were really, really talented to come to the Czech Republic. And a couple of my philanthropist friends did that. One of the guys is a Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy winner. That's the highest honor in the United States for philanthropy. These people were the real deal. And another uh, friend of mine came over with his wife, you know, they started up a family foundation. So the dynamics of all of that, how do you go about making decisions, especially in a family environment? What do you, you know, how do you approach all of this? How do you come to agreement? And what do you look for in a nonprofit that you want to support? All of these things are incredibly important insights uh, for these young social entrepreneurs that I was training. Uh, one of the philanthropists actually paid for my students to attend a conference in Prague that was EU-wide, meaning we had 17 different countries from the European Union attend on uh, the non-governmental organizations, civil society, how to fundraise, uh, how to make a difference, how do you move the needle, if you will, on your mission. And they were great. And one of the classes I taught Uh, with my students uh, that was interactive was we had to get the elevator speech down. Now, the elevator speech is you got 30 seconds to tell me what your organization is all about. You need to make it crisp, clean. You need to distill it down to the essence of what it is. Because, you know, sometimes people's attention spans aren't that great. And when you get really passionate, I'm speaking about myself, you know, I can go on for a long time. And, you know, after a while though, people's eyes glaze over. So it turned, so I had my students all do that in my class and we went to the E, this conference. And actually one of the classes was being run by a woman uh, from, I think, Belgium on the elevator speech. And she was telling my class, the kid, kids in my class were all like, oh, we got this down. And uh, she told the story about how she was in an elevator in the Netherlands and a woman beside her asked her what she did. She gave her crisp, clean elevator speech and that was it, said goodbye. A few days later, she got a call from Queen Beatrice's office of the Netherlands because she wanted to help this woman. Point being, you never know who is going to be listening into your conversation because sometimes it's not the person that asks the question. It's the person that hears you answer it that has great interest in what you do. Got to get that down. So earlier I had said that one of the main takeaways from the class for which they'd be graded, other than their participation in the discussions on the case studies, was they had to create uh, their own business plan They were social entrepreneurs. Uh, Their case statement, all of the things we talked about had to come together and they created a business plan. And they had 
an incredibly wide range of things that they were doing. I'm just, I was making some notes. Uh, a Russian woman uh, had a whole program on uh, reef conservation. She was a diver. Uh, there was a, a Greek woman, Evie, uh, who, uh, and I want to talk about her in a second, who was trying to create a program in Greece uh, for the younger adults who had a disproportionately high rate of unemployment, and they were well-educated and it was causing real issues in Greece. She had a, uh, a nonprofit she wanted to start up that would help them with uh, staying focused, staying motivated, and finding jobs. Uh, we, I had a couple of Swedish students who wanted to uh, start up a, a soccer league with a lot of the immigrants to Sweden to teach them about teamwork and how to work together. Uh, let's see, I also had uh, a woman who was doing uh, work on organic farming. Uh, another person was uh, doing something on refugee assistance. Uh, I learned, one of my Spanish student uh, was doing, actually I had two Spanish students. They did a program together on, they were from Galicia, which is uh, a region of Spain. It has a very strong identity and uh, they have, their national symbol is this, I think it's called a Galega cattle. And they wanted to do a program uh, for conservation about this type of cattle, which is near and dear to their hearts. Well, I do want to say one word about uh, one of my students. Uh, her name was Evie. Uh, she was this diminutive uh, little Greek woman, and uh, she was in the first class or two telling the class about how the uh, unemployment rate for college-educated uh, young adults was extremely high. I think it was in the upper 20%. And people were really disheartened. They didn't feel like there was a path forward for them. And they weren't feeling invested in their own country. And there was a lot of tension uh, going on. And she, I asked her what she wanted to get out of the class. And she said to me, well, I'm, I'm hoping to be inspired. I'm like, thinking to myself, well, that's a lot of pressure on my shoulders uh, to, to inspire. And then afterwards, after a couple of classes, I thought about it. I said, Evie, you know, maybe your job isn't to be inspired. Maybe your job is to inspire others. And man, her eyes lit up. When she did her presentation uh, at the end of the class about her project, I, I had goosebumps. She was amazing. I now refer to her as the Iron Lady of Greece. And she wrote me after it says, thank you so much. You believed in me. You support it and you encourage me to try. And I catch myself thinking, hey, I'm doing something good. And it felt great. I'm so lucky to be in your class, and I know that many more students are going to be lucky in the future. Thank you for being my teacher. You can't ask for anything more than that when you're a teacher. Incredibly rewarding, but the fact is these students were amazing. I learned so much from my students. See, that's the best part about when you're teaching students and young adults at this age and at this place in their life. You learn as much from them and they learn as much from each other as anything. I, when I was doing my master's program at Harvard at the Kennedy School, one of the deans said, you're going to learn as much from each other as you will from the teachers here. And, you know, that's absolutely true. That's why I love the in-person case study methodology because it's all about the discussion. And I would let discussions go in any direction they went, and then I'd bring them back. But 
you cover fascinating ground just by letting the conversations happen organically, you know, with a little bit of focus. Part of being on a Fulbright is going to other institutions and delivering guest lectures. I had the opportunity to go to Masaryk University in Brno, which is in, I hope I get this right, North Central uh, Czech Republic. It used to be the capital of Moravia. It is where uh, the Supreme Court of the Czech Republic is located. It's really considered to be the, the center of the judiciary. Uh, in the Czech Republic. Uh, had a wonderful time speaking with the teachers there. Some of the students uh, talked a lot about Alix de Tocqueville uh, and how he had marveled at the democratic experiment in the United States of America. And he wrote in the 1800s about how Americans had a affinity to create associations think nonprofits, to create associations to address social issues that the government wasn't doing. Now, in the old country, in Europe, if you wanted to do something like build maybe a bridge or a road, or you wanted to take care of widows and orphans or a fire department, or police, you, know, you had to have the local feudal lord or somebody in the aristocracy basically uh, say okay and come up with the money to give you for that. In America, uh, you know, we were founded on the fear of a central power. Uh, that's why, you know, American government is not very efficient. And that's by design. We don't like having a central figure, a central power. That It's all diffused. Uh, and But we have also, it's part of who we are as Americans. When we see something that we want to do something about, we don't ask the local feudal lord to do it for us. We do it ourselves. You know, we create the turnpikes. You know, that's where the name turnpike came from because people built the roads to get goods from the farms to the towns. And to help pay for that road, you had to go through a turnpike where you would, you know, give somebody toll money so you could take your uh, goods to market. This is what we do as Americans. And we take it for granted. And the thing is, it's not to be taken for granted because a lot of countries around the world don't have that background in doing it. Now, they're catching up and they're doing some amazing work wherever you are in the world about people being social entrepreneur. Uh, Muhammad Yunus uh, talking about uh, social enterprise. Uh, the world is evolving uh, and we have been fortunate that our ethos, our worldview is really based in uh, individuals taking action, showing initiative, uh, being entrepreneurs. And in this case, you know, we're talking about being social entrepreneurs. I digress. But I had one of the, the professors at Masaryk University when I went on about the Tocqueville. He, I could see he was getting excited. He was like, he literally, he stood up and started clapping. He goes, I've been teaching this to my students for years. Finally, somebody is validating what I'm doing. It's like, love you, buddy. You know, give me a fist bump. Actually, back then we didn't do that. Uh, but I did have, when I was back in Prague, I had a conversation with some colleagues. And you know, when you try something new in life, whatever it is, human nature puts brakes on it. I, hey, I've got an idea. No, I don't like it. You know, uh, we should be doing this. No, I don't think we ought to do that. Uh, that's the human nature of things. So when we started talking about doing the case study, I had a lot of people uh, kind of start pushing back. Well, you know, so you're inspiring the students. How do you know if they're learning anything? And I remember 
putting on the table all of these different business plans. And then, uh, well, yeah, maybe. But listen, and then I wrote, uh, and then I read to this, this one person, one of my students, Radka wrote, it was the best course I had at VSC. I was always looking forward to the Friday classes, and I also liked its structure. Any boring lecture where students just listen to the teacher cannot teach you more than interactive discussion led by a lecture about his sharing experience, giving incentives to think, and answering the questions, and inspiring. The classes were interactive, stimulating, entertaining, and gave me more for real life than most of the courses at the university. Maybe the only course that made me do more than necessary for my duties. After every class, I felt inspired that I could change the world. Don't you love that? I do. Every single week was a joy to go to the classes at Charles or VSC. I looked forward to it. Uh, the students all came in with energy, with smiles on their faces. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you, you know, usually in a classroom, they would have the lecture podium up and the students would be sitting at the tables back there. Uh, I had them move the tables in a circular uh, fashion and I sat with them. So there was no, here I am talking to you and you're going to take notes. You know, nah, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to really get into your head and we're going to think about stuff deeply and we're going to do it together. Uh, you know, they were all pumped up when they came in. And of course, I would usually end up uh, doing a playing uh, for change uh, music video. But then I had them find something that they found inspiring and we would listen to it or watch it, whatever it was. And they had some really great ideas and some very cool things. Uh, I could read you more about some of the evaluations, but as they say, enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think of me? I'm done with that. I'll put some maybe uh, on uh, on the Facebook page, the Brightcast by Shipbright. You can see them if you want. So uh, during these weeks, uh, I was introduced to more and more Czech and American friends through my buddy Max Munson at uh, Yama, a restaurant, a steakhouse. We would have almost like weekly uh, wonderful steak dinners because in addition to that fabulous hamburger I told you about, Max always uh, sourced top of the line uh, steaks and we would have these amazing steak dinners and he had great selection of wines and he had his own wine from a, a winery over in eastern Austria. We're going to talk about that in a separate episode because that was a ball. But one of the times I was there, uh, a guy came in and uh, Max had said, hey, you got to meet our buddy Hojo. Henry Joe is his name. And he was the distributor for a lot of the small boutique Kentucky bourbon distilleries uh, in Europe. And he would bring over uh, just an amazing selection and oftentimes samples of the cask strength. I'd never heard of that before until I met Hojo. And we would do bourbon tastings and he would talk about it. Well, he and I met the first time and hit it off immediately. Uh, wonderful guy. And it turned out in our conversation that he was a naval officer as I was. And we were like, what? No way. Yeah. And Hojo was smart. He was a nuclear engineer. Now, a lot of them can be submariners, uh, but there are also nuclear engineers on surface ships like aircraft carriers. Uh, now, in the Navy, we have our own names for each other, uh, and especially with the Marines. Uh, the Marines are jarheads. Uh, the Navy guys were squids. And if you're an aviator, you're an Airedale. Uh, Hojo was a nuke puke, smart nuke puke. And 
we started talking about where he was deployed, what he did, uh, where I had been. And uh, all of a sudden, a fellow a friend name came up. Now, I don't have Stephen's last name to use uh, permission of at this point, maybe later on. Uh, but I can tell you, this gives you an insight, his call sign was Ape. There you go, Jordo. Oops, maybe I just said your name. Uh, so we started talking about our mutual friend, uh, Ape, and the stories came out. And we'll talk more about that because I actually would like to get a couple of my military buddies to come on and do a joint presentation talking about the military, why we served, and, you know, our thoughts on it. Anyway, it was a great introduction to Hojo, who uh, I've seen here in the States since then. Uh, he is an extremely talented uh, guy. And I'll tell you, I learned so much from him. And if you are a bourbon manufacturer and you need somebody to sell your wares, he's the guy. He knows everyone. He goes to the parish shows. He goes to, he's all over the place. That man travels more than anybody I've ever met. He has upgrades out the wazoo. Anyway, Hojo, shout out to you. Uh, and Max, thanks for introducing me to Hojo. All right, next time we'll get into some more stories. Hey, thanks everybody for listening in on another edition of Brightcast by Shipbright. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll have some more episodes uh, next Saturday, with some misadventures uh, in Prague, uh, we'll be wrapping up this series in the next uh, episode or two. If you like it, please tell your friends. Uh, it's the only way I can grow it. I do appreciate you all being here. I have got some feedback that if you want to listen to some the music that's there, you have to open it up on Spotify. And I was just told that for some songs, you have to upgrade to uh, Spotify Premium. I, I didn't know that. If I had a cast and a crew here, uh, we could probably figure things out. But it's just this little feeble brain uh, trying to uh, run around and figure this stuff out. So I appreciate your patience. And thanks again for listening. I look forward to talking to you soon. And I'm going to give you an outro here. This is an homage to all of my students at both Charles University and University Economics Prague, a remembrance of our very first class. <laughs>